It is football weekend, so I got to tell a football story, right? I mean, it's not Super Bowl, but it's a, it's a true story from my life. Um, 1967, worked really hard through what we call two-a-days at the time. I was a junior in high school, and starting mid-August, they start doing two-a-days in Ohio. That is brutal. Uh, you get up like you're on the field at 7.30, you go for two or three hours, and you go back home and just crash, and then you come back around four or five and you go another two or three hours. I worked really hard and was able to earn a starting position as left-side linebacker for the opening game. Opening game was a bit of a rival. It was uh, a, play, a, a town called Versailles, Ohio. And Versailles, I know, I would learn two years later that in Ohio, it's pronounced Versailles. Everywhere else, is, it's, it's pronounced Versailles, and it's spelled the same way. But I didn't know that at the time. I thought, I thought it was Versailles, you know. And, uh, and it still is. If you go to, if you go to Ohio today, you'll, you can go pass right through Versailles, Ohio. Anyway, they always had a good football team. And uh, we knew we, our opening game was going to be tough, so we're all pumped up, over ready to go. And, and uh, I had just, just earned a position as left, starting left linebacker, junior. Here we go. Start off. They get the ball first. We're out there. We're ready to go. Come on, baby. Let's get them. And about three or four plays later, boom, right through the line, right through the linebackers, right through the defensive backs. This guy runs for about something like 80 yards. Just a run. We go over the sideline. Hey, who did Come on. What's going on? Who did it? What happened? Where did it? Which side was he on? Who did that? Who didn't, who didn't do their job? And we're all just all, you know, okay, well, okay, let's pull it back together. So our, our offense takes the field. They, I think they go, they go two series of downs, and they have to punt the ball. They, they, they don't, they're not that great. And um, so we come back out. We're, we're jacked now. We're ready to go, baby. And um, we get out there. We're ready to go. And I'm saying, okay, come on. Here we go. Get, get, you know, and boom, three or four plays later, someone in the neighborhood of 60 or 70 yards, same thing, boom, all, runs all the way to, you know, for a touchdown. Go off, get sidelines. We're, we're yelling at each other. Oh, where did he come? Where did he come? Where did he? Who, who, who missed the block? Who missed the stunt? What, whatever. What, what's going on? And yeah, yeah, you know, a bunch of sixteen-year-old guys sitting there, you know, trying to figure it out. And um, we didn't have position coaches in those days. Okay, we had two coaches. Anyway, um, so we, we're working hard at it. Go back out. Offense does nothing. We go back out in the field. He guessed it again. Third time after about two series of downs, about a fifty-yard play. Boom! Runs right over tackle again. Runs right across. Boom! Touchdown. It's not even the middle of the first quarter. We're down 21 nothing. We lost that game, in case you're wondering. Um, fast forward two days later. That's Friday night. Fast forward to Sunday morning, or Sunday afternoon. We did it. We did, it was illegal at the time, but we did it anyway. Um, you weren't, weren't supposed to meet with the coach. But we would always go after church. We'd all go to the coach's house on Sunday afternoon and watch the film because it took about a day to develop the film, which is a concept that most of you have no clue what that means. <laughs> but but uh, so we went over to the coach's house to watch the film of the game, and all of a sudden we're watching those plays, and I'm looking, and for the first time, I see what happened. And I see number 66 laying on his backside, and the guy literally just running right over the top of him, three times in a row for a touchdown. I'm number 66. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding? I mean, this, you don't make this stuff up. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that day and how I'm sitting here with being 12 or 15 of my buddies, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, that was me. Oh, my gosh. Listen, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know it was me. 
And that's a terrible feeling when you finally realize, oh, it's me. The Apostle Paul, in a much greater sense, in a much deeper sense, has somewhat of the same experience that he writes about in the book of Romans. Now, understand who, who, who the Apostle Paul really is, because he not only is one of the apostles, he, he is probably one of the most brilliant men of his time. He would have gone to a school, what we would, if it were in today's vernacular, he would have gone to the head Ivy League school. I'm not sure which one that is. I'm around a bunch of Princeton people, and they all tell me that there's really only one Ivy League school. And I'm like, I think some other folks might disagree with that, but who am I to say? I didn't go to an Ivy. I didn't even go to an Ivy baby, you know? So anyway, um, he went to an, an Ivy. His school was called Gamaliel. He was a well-known scholar of the time, and it was, one of the, it, was, it was a real thing to put on your resume. You went to Gamaliel's school. The Apostle Paul did that. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, terrific man of God. Wrote almost half the New Testament in, in, terms of, in terms of quantity and so forth. And yet I want to take you inside his mind a little bit and get you to see some of his, some of his angst. As he, as he, a little, really it's a little autobiographical glimpse into his own fight with himself and the fact that he had no salivic power over his, over his fight whatsoever. No, no, no way of, of saving anything. Including uh, saving himself, so to speak. Um, I want you to watch carefully because I'm going to use certain select verses from a a, a book in the Bible, New Testament, called uh, Romans chapter seven. And I'm just going to, if you know the passage, I'm just going to pick out a few verses to try. Not I'm trying to not talk about the other verses, but I want you to see just the angst in which he is writing about this problem that he has and this fight that is going on with himself. Because as we wrap up this series, The Fight, we've talked about the fight with time and the fight for control and the fight for your mind. Uh, We need to talk about the fight for self. And this is the big one. Watch this. Watch, Watch, just try to capture his spirit here, the Apostle Paul. But I am an unspiritual, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Man, this guy had been reading my journal? And here's the thing. With him, it's not just... It's not just bad because he does something bad. It's bad because he fails to do something good. Amazing. Keep reading here. Verse 21. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that doesn't work within me. What a wretched man I am. How many times have I said that to the Lord? What? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death that is subject to death? Now, are you feeling it? I mean, you're like, yeah, I can relate to that. Let me read to you in another Bible, a paraphrase. Of, it's called the message, the last verse. Instead of saying wretched man, he says this, I've tried everything. Nothing helps. 
I'm at the end of my rope. There is no one who can do anything for me. Or he said, is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? I mean, this guy, I mean, this is the, the great apostle Paul. I'm doing the thing that I hate. The apostle here is stating something very simple. True for him, true for me. And I'm sorry to say true for you. I'm cursed. I'm broken. I'm messed up. Look what he says next, verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. He's giving us a little glimmer of hope, just cracking the door, seeing, seeing a little glimmer of brightness, lightness. Again, from the message paraphrase, it puts it, same, same verse puts it this way. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. That is the struggle for every human being, if they're aware of it. Hopefully, well, unfortunately, there are people just like I was in that football field. I knew something was wrong. I had no idea it was me. Unfortunately, some people are like that as well with this. They didn't even got to the struggle yet. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The Apostle Paul says, I am cursed, I am broken, I am messed up. And now he says, but because of Jesus, I am, I am delivered. He is my only hope. He is my only hope. All the self-discipline in the world is not going to help me here. I'm the problem. Remember that great quote from the War of 1812? Oliver Hazard Perry, commander in the Navy, said, We, um, we have met the enemy and they are ours. Many years ago, 1972, I believe, Walt Kelly, the great humorist writer of the great comic strip, Pogo. Did you read Pogo? There was so much truth in Pogo. It was great. Uh, I think they reprint it now, but he's long since passed away. But uh, Walt Kelly put it this way in uh, in Pogo's words, we have met the enemy and he is us. I love that quote. (laughs) We have met the enemy and he is us. So true. But, but, Thankfully, the apostle takes a turn here in this writing. This, this, he, he, he says, this angst, I'm cursed, I'm broken, I'm messed up. There is deliverance. And, and, and the, 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 fight, the fight for myself can only be won by trusting in Christ. It can only be won by trusting Christ. And he shows us how that works, beginning in chapter 8. By the way, just a side note to this. The, the, the chapters and the verse divisions in the Bible didn't happen until around the 10th century. And every now and then I do this, I'm a, I'm a little crazy, I really, I'll, I'll read the Bible and I'll talk to, I'll, why, I'll say, why did, you put the te- why did you put a verse there? Why did you put a chapter there? That, obviously, they're not listening to me, but, um, and I don't think that. But this is one of those examples where chapter 8, the division comes at a really, I think, awkward time because he goes through this, all this angst. I do the, who's going to, I'm a wretched man than I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then, he, and then he stops right with the next word, therefore, chapter 8, verse 1. My, I remember to this day, my hermeneutics professor in college used to always say, whenever, gentlemen, whenever you see a therefore, you stop and you see what it's there for. And, uh, and here you are. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is good news. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, I'm going to read that again in verse 2. Because Christ, uh, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, capital S, or in some Bibles, Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S. He's speaking of, what's, what's the law of the Spirit? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into the life of every one of us the moment we take that step of faith and trust Christ. Every one of us. It, it doesn't come later, it comes at that moment. You, you, don't, you don't feel it. It's not like, oh, I felt the Holy Spirit come into my mouth. It just happens. And, and so you have, all of a sudden, you have the, a, a different spirit. You have the Holy Spirit at work within you. You still have the sin nature. There are, there are a group, a small group of, 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 of Christians theologically who, who say that when you become a Christian, you can come to the point where your sin nature is eradicated. I'm still waiting for that to happen, baby. That hadn't happened. And, and now obviously, that's, that's just bad, bad theology. Um, it's, it, it's with us until we die, unfortunately. But we also have the new nature, which comes the moment we trust Christ. Now, and this is an important issue. Some of you can name the day and the time when you, came, when you put your trust in Christ. If you've done that, some of you may not have done that, and that's fine. We're glad you're here. There are some of us who can't name the date and the time. Some of us who are followers of Christ, and I don't know when it happened. It happened somewhere in this this season of years, right? You know, at such such and such time. I'm not sure exactly what. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Here's the issue. What matters is, have you done that? Have you trusted Christ? And you may be here and say, no, I haven't done that. I'm not ready yet. That's fine. We're glad you're here. Glad you're here to kind of Figure things out. We're honored that you're here on the journey with us. But but when per, one person does come to Christ, immediately, immediately, the Holy Spirit indwells them, and you have a new nature, a new spirit. And then the process begins. So here's what he says. Therefore, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now watch what happens in verse 3. This is a lot. I'm going to just read, just going to read straight through verses 3 and 4. Then we're going to go back and kind of dig in a little deeper, all right? Verse 3, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What was that? Run that by me again, Rich. Let's, go there. let's, let's take that a little slower. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do. What is that? What's the law, first of all? What's it powerless to do? The law there, for practical purposes, you could, just, you could just say the Ten Commandments because the law is referring to the law of Moses. In truth, the law of Moses was actually 613 commandments. But we take a de- what we call the Decalogue, we take ten of those, we have what we call the Ten Commandments that were part of the law of Moses. And we just, those are the Ten Moral Commandments. And those are the ones that most of us probably memorized or have heard at some time in our life. You know, thou shalt not, thou shalt, and so forth. Um, the purpose of that law was to show us what holiness is. But now he's saying the law was powerless to do this because it was weakened by the flesh. Here's the point. I have broken every commandment a million times over. I've shot them to smithereens. You say, really? You murdered somebody? You killed somebody? No. Because Jesus comes along in Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you have heard that it was wrong to, to, to murder. I tell you, it's not only wrong to murder, it's wrong to hate. Jesus said, the Ten Commandments, it's not just a matter of what you do or don't do. It's also your, the spirit of your heart. 
and where you are. And every one of us in here, every one of us in here, have, have, have taken all the Ten Commandments and blown them to smithereens at one time or another. You say, I haven't. I would say, see there, you just did it again. You're lying, okay? Um, I mean, yeah, I've never... Yeah, yeah, no, no, don't, don't miss the difference. I've never killed anybody. Hopefully, I'll never have to. Um, I've thought about it a few times. Uh, your name may have been on that list too, by the way. Yeah, just, 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 just put the fear into you. I've never killed anybody, but I've hated. Um, now, th- here's the difference. In most cases, I'm not going to go to jail for hating. If I kill somebody, I'm probably going to go to jail. So the consequences are different. But what Jesus, the point that Jesus makes is it's still the same in spirit. It's still the same. And, you know, I, I would make an argument, too, that hate, I haven't, done, I haven't done a lot of hating, but I've done a little. And, and when you do, it, 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 it does make kind of get in your own prison in a certain way. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty rough. So it does have other consequences as well. So, so the point is what the law was powerless to do. What was it powerless to do? It couldn't make us holy. It could only show us. It couldn't make us righteous. It could only show us here's the righteous standard. Here's Ten Commandments. And, if you, and you can't keep those in your spirit. In your heart. Now, watch what he says. What, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Who's that? That's me. That's you. The flesh. Human. The human. The human can I'm human. You know? God did. The law was powerless to do, weakened by the flesh. God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The likeness of sinful flesh. Key phrase. He wasn't sinful flesh. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. But he never sinned. He, he, he was in the human body, but he didn't have the sin nature that all of us have. And what he's saying is, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who, who gives life has set you free. It says that he set us free. Back in verse 2. Sorry. Now, back to verse 4 now. Verse 3, sorry. Verse 3, for the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Now go to verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay. In order that the righteous requirement of the law. The law is there. The Ten Commandments are there to show us what righteousness is. And we can't keep it. But that's why, and he says, but Jesus came in order for us to be able to do that. I love verse 4. In order that the righteous, you know, the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Let me show you something. I think this will clear it up if you're not, if you're, if you're not confused on this, or if you are a little bit confused on this. There's another paraphrase of this that I think just kind of makes it very clear. Watch this. This is, again, the message. God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered this, the, the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set the right one, in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now that the law code asked, uh, not, not, and now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, that's righteousness, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, 
simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. I love that instead of redoubling our efforts, because he's saying what happens is we get into this thing and we say, okay, I failed, I failed, I sinned again, I did it again, I did it again, Lord. Okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. That never works. I can assure you it doesn't. I've tried it. What works is, okay, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I don't have that ability. You can do it in me and through me. And that's, the, that's, that's, the, that's part of the fight. The fight for myself can only be won by trusting in Christ. That's the only way. Keep reading here. I'm going to finish in verse 5 and 6. Just, it just gets even better. Those who live according to the flesh. Watch, watch how, how much he uses mind here. Just, just watch this. Those who live according to, the fl- according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, speaking to Christians. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. Wow, pretty strong. That's that part. If you haven't trusted, if you haven't come to Christ, you don't have, if you haven't trusted Christ in faith, you don't have the Spirit of Christ. That's the first thing maybe some of you need to start with. Have I, have I, trusted, have I trusted Christ? You can do that right there, right now. But you can see the struggle here that's going on. See, the difference is the, 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 now we have this new nature, the Holy Spirit working in us. And as a result, we have a new ability. Doesn't mean we're going to have all. Doesn't mean we're always going to just do the right thing. Sometimes we're, you know, we're going to have more wins and losses. I believe we can say that at least. Because here's the thing. This whole, thing, you know, we talk about it a lot. I just got through talking about it. This whole thing of trusting Christ. It's really a more complicated concept in which sometimes I give it, or Clay, or any of us give it, give it. Uh, um, verbiage to be. It's, 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 it's a difficult thing to get your mind around trusting Christ. So I've been thinking, how can, how can we, do, what does that mean exactly? I mean, does it mean I just put my faith in the fact that Jesus came, lived, suffered, died, rose again? Yeah. There's another word I want to use, and it's used back here in verse, um, verse 7. It's a, it's, a, it's a dirty word to some of you. It's a new word to others. The word is Submit. I learned a lot about submit when I was in the military. I had to submit to, to guys that were, this is going to sound arrogant, but it's true. Um, I, I used to be arrogant. <laughs> I just did it again. I just lied. Um, I had to submit to people who, who, the only thing I could think of at the time, I had to submit to people whose IQ was probably half mine, you know? But that's how it works in the military. Uh, it took a little effort. I had to get the stuffing beat out of me three or four times, literally, physically, before, I, oh, I, I get it. That hurts. Yes, sir. No, sir. I can do that. Yeah. Um, not fun, but that's submission. Thankfully, let me give you the definition of submit, because I, I think that will help you. Define to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another. That was hard for me in the military, because I didn't think they were superior. 
they were in rank. Here, it's much different because Jesus is superior. He's God. And when I submit to him, I yield. I put myself under him. I say, Lord, I need you. I want to put myself under your authority. I can't do it. I can't do it myself. I'm failing again. I had a guy come to me one time at, at, at our church in Colorado when I was there, which was 100 miles from Denver. So I throw that in. Um, in Colorado, you got one team to cheer for, really, and that's the, that's, that's the Broncos. Anyway, he came to in a church, and, and, and the guy came to me. He'd been struggling. He'd been talking to me about a, a particular... I don't want to go into details. I have to be careful these days because we're on the Internet and so forth. But um, it, it just a lot, of, a lot of stuff that he was dealing with that he kept failing in, single guy, and, and uh, about my age. And um, he's not a crying kind of guy. And he came by my office one day, and he was, he was in tears, and he said, Rich, I did it again. And I knew he needed some encouragement. And he, I let him go on for a little while, and he was just struggling with that whole thing. He said, I did it again. And I said, you know what I'm thankful for? He said, no, what? I said, that there's a fight going on. If you didn't have that fight going on, then I'd be really worried about you. Now, it was wrong. Ask Jesus to forgive you. He will. You can do better. You know, I'll pray with you, whatever we can do and so forth. But see, that's the fight that all of us have. And it's different things for different ones of us. And sometimes it's things that we thought we had, we had done better then and we no longer are doing, doing as well as we did before. All that kind of stuff that goes on. But it comes back to trusting and submitting. The fight for yourself can only be won by trusting and submitting to Jesus. It begins with a decision. Clay talked about that last week. It continues with that mind being, being fed on the right thing, think, getting your mind in the right place. That's why we talk about reading. You know, when we talk about reading the Bible around here a lot or, or, or praying, we're not just trying to do it for intellectual exercise. It's because of all the stuff. You're going to hear this afternoon. I won't see the commercials, so you will. You're going to hear all the stuff you need to make your life better. And if you, if you get this or get this, your life is going to be so much better. Can I tell you something? It's all lies. It's all lies. But it's marketing, you know? No offense to our marketers in the, in the, in the house. We love you. Um, it's, it's to sell a product, you know? And they'll do whatever they got to do to sell a product, and that's fine. That's part of business. But, but the issue is this. Nothing's going to improve your life. Nothing's going to help you win the fight other than trusting and submitting to Christ. Let me give you a story. Um, I just heard it this week. I'll, I'll get the guys to come on up whenever they get a minute. We're going to have a song in just a minute uh, that talks about this new nature that, that Christ has given us. I want to illustrate it for you with a story, a true story that I just heard this week. I've heard, I've, I've heard bits and pieces of this story over my years here, and I finally got it all finalized this week, and it's an amazing story. It's a, a, a guy in finance here in the in local area, around this, in one of the towns nearby here, and uh, back in the 80s, and I hear the 80s was the time to make a lot of money around here any way you wanted to make it, and uh, uh, before a lot of the regulations set in and so forth. And, uh, and he and some of his uh, um, partners uh, embezzled some money, from their clients. I'm not in the banking industry, but I understand that's not a good thing. And uh, it's basically stealing. They uh, got their dream team, and they, they, got, they got charged with embezzlement, and they got their dream team of lawyers together, and they went to court, and, and they got charges dismissed. Everything's great. They got their millions and millions and billions of dollars. And then, and then um, they got charged again with their dream team together. 
there was a period of time between being charged, getting their lawyers together, before they were to appear in court. During that period of time, this guy who had always gone to church all of his life, by the way, he doesn't go to Renaissance yet. But there's still, I mean, there are two kinds of people in the world that I look at. There are people who come to Renaissance and those who haven't come yet. So anyway, he hasn't, he hasn't come to Renaissance yet. And, um, and, and he, but he was, was going to church, and all of a sudden something happened. His faith became real. He truly came to trust and submit to the person of Jesus in his life. And in reading the Bible, he realized, obviously, embezzlement is a sin. It's stealing. So apparently he got with his pastor or some other people, and, and, they, and they went through the Old Testament, and they, and they found out that in the Old Testament, you, there's, there's restitution for, for stealing. You can, either, you can either, whatever you've stolen, you can either double it and give it back, depending on the particular thing you stole. You can either double it and give it back, or you can quadruple it and give it back, or you can pay back seven times the amount. He and, and, and apparently the pastor figured out that he should, he should pay back four times what he stole or had stolen. He went to the judge without a lawyer and said, I did it. I want to pay it back four times. And as I understand the story, it took he and his family several years of great sacrifice for them to do what he believed God was showing him to do, which was clearly the right thing. That's what happens when you win the fight for yourself, which can only be won by trusting and submitting to Christ and allow him to work something new into your life.